I really expect the growth of the crypto derivative industry to take place over the next couple of months and years. In the traditional space, the derivative space is multiple times that of the spot industry. And it's not the case yet in crypto. And I think the exchanges that are able to adapt, able to build institutional grade crypto derivative exchanges, I think there's a lot of opportunities there, not only for funds and clients that want to trade with them, but also potentially for a lot of investors who want to deploy capital into such platforms as well. Welcome to Opinionated with Ben Schiller. Ben is the features editor at Coindesk. He's a seasoned business journalist, and he'll be talking with some of the most fascinating contributors to Coindesk's daily opinions section. This episode is brought to you by the Coindesk Podcast Network. And now here he is, Ben Schiller. Welcome to Opinionated. Today we're joined by Henry Arslanian from PwC. He's the global crypto leader at that consultancy and he's based in Hong Kong and he's expert in many matters close to our hearts. So we're very happy to welcome him to the show today. Hi, Henry. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me. Great, great, great. So you've written a piece for Coindesk because it's that time of year. I'm looking ahead to 2021 and it's obviously been a bumper, very interesting year in, in 2020 and you make an interesting point at the beginning to say that this has been a kind of fraught year for most people for obvious reasons, but actually it's been a breakthrough year for crypto and fintech generally. So, I mean, how are you feeling as we close out this year? I mean, it seems like a a lot's been going on and we've made a lot of progress generally. Absolutely, Ben. Yeah, obviously these these yearly predictions have been a tradition that I've been doing for the last, since 2015 actually. And obviously this year I'm focusing exclusively on crypto. Yeah, and as you mentioned, I mean, 2020, yes, it's been a terrible year for pretty much the entire world. But when we look at it from a fintech and crypto perspective, it's been pretty much a game-changing year. I think uh, for many of the developments that we're expecting to see over the next couple of years, COVID-19 really acted as a catalyst. I mean, a great example of this is over the last couple of years, we were seeing less and less people use banknotes for payment. And obviously, that was trend was going on and really COVID-19 really accelerated that pace. Well, at the same time, we've had, because of COVID-19, some developments that happened. For example, right now, around the world, from the US to Europe to the UK to even places like Hong Kong, where I am, we have record levels of cash hoarding. People, although they're not spending cash for payments, they're actually hoarding record levels of cash. And that happens a lot. It happens in every crisis situation. And this brings a big conflict for a lot of central banks. And that, again, catalyzes a lot of conversations, for example, on central bank digital currencies. So while 2020 was a bad year, and from a crypto perspective, it really catalyzed a lot of developments we're seeing. And I always tell people that right now, we are probably going to the most exciting time when it comes to the future of finance and the future of money. And COVID-19 really catalyzed that as well. So you cover a lot of these CBDC projects working closely with central banks around the world, particularly in in your region there. And obviously the project there that really stands out is China's because it's been working on this for more than a decade, uh, a lot longer than these other banks. Talk about how China's digital currency is a potential game changer. And also secondarily, if you could just discuss the difference between retail CBDCs and other types of CBDCs, because I think people often confuse the two different types. Oh, absolutely. And uh, obviously, 2020 saw a lot of developments when it comes to central bank digital currencies. And really, what we're seeing of 2021 is shaping up to be an even more intense year on this topic. There's obviously two major types of central bank digital currencies. The first one is our wholesale CBDCs, which is a CBDC issued by, by the central bank, but really to be used by the member banks. 
So really, uh, when it comes to the public, the public does not really interact with it. It kind of really happens behind the scenes. And in this area, there's been numerous very int- uh, interesting projects. Uh, probably the ones that I like the most and probably is the most advanced right now is actually uh, also in this part of in Asia is really the one between the Hong Kong Monetary Authority and the Bank of Thailand, where they're tackling uh, how to deal with cross-border payments when it comes to wholesale CBDC. But however, where I'm really paying attention in 2021 is when it comes to the other category, the retail CBDC, which is kind of digital currency that is issued again by the central bank, but really to be used that the public interacts with. And that is actually, I think, very interesting and is the area to watch because for the first time, the public will be able to have access to a kind of digital banknotes, you know, digital currency issued by the central bank. And one thing that's very important for your audience to know, today, there's only two kinds of central bank money. One is banknotes that, you know, the paper banknotes that everybody uses. And the second type of central bank money are the reserves that your bank is holding at the central bank. The money that Ben, you have in a traditional bank is not central bank money. That's purely debits and credits or pluses or minus, kind of if you want on the accounting books of that financial institution. And really our generation, everybody listening to this podcast, we're going to be really historical generation who's going to see in our lifetime a third form of central bank money in the format of a CBDC. And that I think is very exciting. And definitely when it comes to this retail CBDC space, all eyes in 2021 will be on China. You know, as you mentioned, China has been researching this topic since 2014. Again, so we're seeing a lot of central banks look at this. Uh, China has been on it for over six years, seven years now. And just to put things in perspective, uh, they recently completed their recent, the phase one of their pilot where over 2 billion renminbi, that's $300 million were transacted in over 4 million transactions. They did this via 12,000 use cases. So this is really a complete different level. And there's no doubt that really when it comes to the future of money, the future of money right now is not being tested and experimented in the UK, in the US or other parts of the world. It's really happening in China. So really in 2021 on CBDC, the one country to watch is definitely China. And that's such an important point. Let's continue with the predictions here. So uh, the next one is basically you're saying that private banks, as well as the big uh, investment banks, are likely to get into the Bitcoin treasury space. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. I think uh, in 2020, we saw numerous financial institutions make the jump into crypto from the JP Morgans and Standard Charters to many other investment banks starting covering the asset class, you know, from Citi to Deutsche Bank, and there's many, many others. I think what's going to be interesting in 2021 is see um, new banks that will come in into space uh, and try to have offerings for the customers. I think what we saw last year, we saw numerous banks try to come up with places where like OTC brokerages, exchanges, custodians, but a lot of these were being driven by investment banks. And what I think is going to be very interesting to watch is the whole wealth management space. As many of your listeners know, obviously, a lot of people, there's increased interest on Bitcoin and digital assets. Yes, some of it is driven by quantitative easing and the money printing around the world. Some of this is driven by kind of the price uh, action that we've seen in recent months. And some of it is driven by other factors, like the increased regulatory clarity, for example, that we're seeing on crypto assets. And all these things for a lot of private banks... I would not be surprised to see many of them uh, really make a jump forward in the space for a very simple reason, because a lot of their clients are looking for access to these instruments. And for a private bank, it can be an opportunity uh, to be able to service them. I really expect to see more activity from traditional financial institutions, particularly also private banks. I'm keeping an eye on them as they try to tackle this uh, very coveted uh, high net worth and family office target client base. 
Brilliant. So M&A activity, you have a good phrase in the piece uh, where you say that unicorns are going to become octopuses or octopi, I guess, meaning that these unicorn companies are flush with cash and they're looking to go out into the marketplace and buy up competitors. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, twice a year we published our PwC Global Crypto M&A and fundraising report for the crypto industry. And what's really been interesting in the data that we have been seeing at PwC is really only this year in 2020, in the first six months, really the total value of crypto M&A has already surpassed what we saw in 2019. And we're really seeing that momentum continue. And frankly, a lot of the price action that we have seen in Bitcoin in the last couple of months, obviously, is more and more trading. It's more revenues for a lot of these big players, the big exchanges. And even in the press and Coindesk, you guys mentioned some of the expected profits that a lot of these large firms are expected to make this year. And I think what's going to be interesting to see is these large players over the next couple of months, the type of acquisitions they go and do. I often say that these large crypto unicorns, are becoming increasingly like octopuses, like you, and because uh, not only uh, they're really going and buying firms that are that have ancillary services to what they're doing. So when, if, even though it's a large exchange, now they have their tentacles in various other businesses, whether it's data, whether it's uh, custody, whether it's a uh, prime brokerage, and so on and so forth. And what makes them actually these firms are very powerful. It's difficult to kill an octopus afterwards because they're really involved in various different businesses like the unicorn. And I think that's one thing I expect to see is really an increased level of M&A activity over the next couple of months. Uh, one thing I'm watching as well is where is this M&A taking place? One big trend that we have seen for the last three years where we've been tracking this data uh, in my team is really that increasingly the activity is moving away from the Americas and moving to Asia and other parts outside of the US. I mean, just to give you an example, the latest data that we have, 57% of M&A deals in crypto were taking place in APAC and EMEA. And really, this is up from 51% last year and 43% in 2018. And I expect this trend to continue as uh, Asia and broadly EMEA uh, starts taking a bigger role in the global crypto ecosystem. Fantastic. So a lot of people have commented on the current Bitcoin bull run as being a largely institutional play. But one of your predictions for next year is increasing retail involvement in the space. And you're hoping to get your mum involved more. So talk about that. I mean, how's that going to happen? My mom, my poor mom, never understood what I do in life. Uh, so actually, I gave her her first Bitcoin a couple of years ago. And now obviously, she's very happy. She follows the markets. She even last week sent me a the login for a session that Coindesk was doing. She was very interested in joining. Uh, so it really shows you how it works. And even my kids, my, I have a young daughter and uh, my wife bought her a book saying, what is blockchain for kids, for babies? So she was learning about blockchain. And all this brings me to retail involvement because uh, really when you look at the retail market compared to the last bull run we had in 2017, I think all your listeners, everybody was in crypto. We get that question from friends and family saying, hey, I heard about this Bitcoin thing. Where should I go and buy Bitcoin? And the reality is that it's never been easier right now for retail to go and buy digital assets. In many countries now, most countries now, you have regulated fiat to crypto exchanges. To give you an example, according to Cambridge University, in 2016, 5 million people had an account at a crypto exchange. 5 million in 2016. The latest data that we have, the number went from 5 million to 100 million. So there's already more people buying and having access to crypto uh, exchanges and having wallets at some of these exchanges. The one big development that I'm watching here is the entry of large tech players that will make it even easier for retail to come in. I mean, obviously, uh, in, in the US, I mean, we all saw PayPal that removed recently its waiting list. That's 280 million people now who have access to uh, crypto. According to Mizuho recently, their estimate that about 20% of users have already bought Bitcoin 
uh, from the, the platform. And as we as we all know, according to some reports, uh, PayPal alone now is buying about 70% equivalent of about 70% of new Bitcoin that is being mined. So I'm really now watching about these large tech platforms. They make it even easier now for the retail public to come in. So they're definitely a big area to watch, uh, I think, for in 2020. It's the ease for retail to come in by regulated platforms. And then obviously, there's a whole ecosystem that opens up from the lending, the borrowing, the staking, and so on and so forth. So definitely an area to watch in 2021. And I finally hope my mom as well can go in more easily buy digital assets as well. <laughs> Let's hope so. So talk here about uh, derivatives. So you make a good point that the kind of derivatives markets in traditional finance is actually much bigger than you know spot markets, but that's not the case in crypto. But you do expect to see more derivative action in 2021. So how's that going to happen? Um, by background, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I'm a financial markets lawyer, and I spent many years in, in the banking industry. I spent many years in the hedge fund industry, and I, obviously derivatives is an area I spent a lot of time in in my previous life before I got into crypto a couple of years ago. We saw over the last year a lot of these regulated platforms, the CME, Bact, and others. A CME is a great example now where last week we had record levels of open interest on Bitcoin futures, for example. We're seeing more and more interest from institutional investors in trading these instruments. One thing that I'm amazed is that actually even the large crypto funds that we're seeing in the market, some of the institutional grade crypto funds are still trading crypto derivatives with platforms that in a normal industry, they would never do so. For example, a lot of the uh, crypto derivative exchanges we're seeing in the market now, obviously, the industry is growing up quite a lot. Most of them have a proper KYC. And I, we're seeing, hopefully, over the next couple of months, more and more uh, get not only regulated, but put in place uh, proper uh, governance controls, get SOC 1, SOC 2 reports, and so on and so forth. But I really expect the growth of the crypto derivative industry to take place over the next couple of months and years. Like you mentioned, uh, in the traditional space, the, the derivative space is multiple times that of the spot industry. And really, it's, it's not the case yet in crypto. So I really expect to see what's going to be happening uh, from that perspective over the coming months. And I think the exchanges that are able to adapt, the people who are able to build institutional-grade crypto derivative exchanges, I think there's a lot of opportunities there, not only for funds and clients that want to trade with them, but also potentially for a lot of investors who want to deploy capital into such platforms as well. So definitely an area to watch the crypto derivatives, but also crypto derivative exchanges. I'm paying attention to this topic over the next couple of months. Next prediction, uh, DeFi. So uh, decentralized finance was a massive trend and story for us this year. How do you see that developing in the future? Are we going to see more regulation maybe in that area? Will we see more enterprise or institutions coming in, do you think? Yeah, well, DeFi has been fascinating. Like I think uh, many people have been uh, really uh, fascinated by this topic and following very closely this summer. You know, I'm actually working on my next book now that's coming up called The Future of Money. And literally, I wrote the chapter on DeFi last uh, January and February. And obviously, that, that section is entirely outdated right now. So I got to rewrite it completely after developments that happened in the last couple of months, because really 2020 was a fantastic year for DeFi. I mean, literally, the total value locked in DeFi was less than a billion dollars in January. And now that's over $15 billion today, which is incredible growth that we saw over the last couple of months. Uh, you mentioned regulations. I do not think that we're going to be able to see, right? We're not going to see regulations on DeFi for some, frankly, very obvious reasons. It's very difficult to uh, regulate the DeFi. And despite all the developments going on with the FATF rules, the travel rule, getting, you know, obviously regulating DeFi is almost, almost impossible. However, I think I expect to see still a lot of growth in DeFi over the next couple of months. 
I don't expect it to come from institutional investors. I think it's very unlikely we're going to see institutional investors. Uh, what I mean by institutional investors, I mean a lot of the big financial institutions or the, the traditional industry enter the space. Uh, but I really believe that a lot of the DeFi community that has been growing tremendously over the next couple of months really is going to continue with its momentum. Some of the features of DeFi, uh, for example, uh, composability, that we can, you know, the financial Legos, that we can take every piece of DeFi and match them together, really giving us a relationship of, a, you know, one plus one, not a two, but a one plus one, uh, 22. And I think that's really, really interesting. And it really gives us the opportunity to reimagine financial services with a first principle approach. I think that's going to be very, very interesting to watch. So no, uh, no regulations, but and probably no institutional activity either. But I think definitely when it comes to future finance, definitely an area to watch from that perspective. Stablecoins were another big uh, story this year. We saw a lot of activity with Tether and USDC. And now there's a big elephant in the room, which is Facebook's Libra, or as they've recently renamed it, DM. How do you see uh, DM kind of affecting the stablecoin situation? So I'm, I'm super excited about the whole stablecoin ecosystem. Just to give you some data. At the beginning of the year, we had less than $5 billion in assets in stablecoins. And now as we're recording this, it's over $25 billion. Uh, so really, it was a tremendous year for stablecoins. And obviously here, uh, really all eyes should be on DM Libra in 2021. But for a couple of reasons, obviously, the main use case that we've seen so far with stablecoins has been crypto funds. When markets get choppy, they would move their assets out of, let's say, Bitcoin or other assets and move them into stablecoins. That was often we're using stablecoins when moving from one exchange to another. Uh, one thing I'm watching right now in 2021 is really how this could be used in cross-border payments. I mean, one of the biggest things that bothers me and really what I believe in the future of money is today, uh, the average cost to sending money cross-border is around 7%. That's the average fee. Especially when you talk about remittances, there's over $550 billion a year that is sent by over 250 million migrants. And these often the people that are paying the price when they can afford the least. And I really believe that you know when it comes to something like DM, Libra, they're really going to be able, hopefully, to tackle this problem by using the DM Association and the whole uh, infrastructure they're trying to build. So I'm very bullish on it and watching it very, very closely from that perspective. One thing I'm also watching on the stablecoin perspective, which is whether we're going to see their usage increase when it comes to commercial transactions. One interesting data point we saw last year was an increased usage from businesses. So let's say if you're a Latin American company or African company buying goods from, let's say, Southeast Asia, instead of using a traditional banking system, which obviously has not only its correspondent banking and there's a lot of fees and it takes time and it's very cumbersome, settle payments using stable coins. Yes, obviously, this you need to do this between parties that know each other or trust each other to a certain extent or have experience with dealing with each other. But we really saw many, um, let's say, corridors, uh, billions of dollars of transactions. And I'm, I think that's very, very exciting. And I think it's one of, the, one of the developments we don't talk enough in the crypto community about how corporates are using it for cross-border transactions. So I'm definitely also an area I'm watching in 2021 to see if there's going to be an increase of usage from such companies of stablecoins. I expect a big year for stablecoins all around in 2021. Absolutely. I'm particularly interested in, in the remittances uh, angle because that's a big kind of use case for this whole sector. And let's hope we finally see some action on that next year. Well, thanks very, very much for these predictions. These are fantastic. And we'll come back next December and see if you're right.
<laughs> yeah, I, I do that every year. Actually, I try to put some accountability to all my predictions because uh, I think that's the right thing to do. Actually, good thing is uh, from compared to last year, it turned out to be pretty good year. So uh, I was pretty much on spot. So let's see. You know, you mentioned before at the beginning of the call, Ben, that I was an expert. I always tell all my clients and anybody in the ecosystem, whoever tells you they're a crypto expert, you got to run away. You know, I think we're all 24-7 of our time in this space, and we pretty much have no idea what's going to happen even one month from now. Uh, so uh, I'd rather call myself somebody who's very passionate and aficionado and uh, who works in this space than expert. <laughs> so, But uh, definitely there got a year to watch in 2021. Very, very exciting time in the future of money and the future of finance. So I'm looking forward to the next couple of months. So Henry, thanks very much for coming on and giving us your predictions for next year. If people want to follow up with you about any of these, how can they do that? The best way is often is LinkedIn. Uh, on LinkedIn, as uh, many of your listeners may know, I have a weekly show called The Crypto Capsule, where I summarize a lot of these developments that happen in less than 60 seconds. And I have a weekly newsletter called The Future of Money that comes out every Sunday. Again, it's on LinkedIn, also on Twitter, and also on my YouTube page, where I have a lot of educational content, actually, wearing my professor hat out. You know, I, I teach crypto at university and digital assets. So a lot of educational videos on from simple stuff like what is Bitcoin to some more commentary pieces on latest developments. So that's probably a good way for people keep in touch youtube twitter and most importantly for me uh, linkedin and if not they can find a lot of my information online as well if you will get in touch so uh, thank you very much Ben. it was great being on air with you and a big fan of what the work you guys are doing and thank you very much everybody listening and uh, allowing us to share a passion of the future of money with you all thank you very much my name is ben schiller and that was henry arslanian from pwc and we'll see you next time